These, these things don't worry us too much. And this is, this is a great morning for this anyway, because I wanted this just to be kind of a casual morning for us, a kind of a family chat, if you would. This is, a, this is not part of a new series. This is not part of the last series, really. This is just kind of a things looking forward for us for this, this upcoming year. Many of you may know we're getting ready to go into our 10th anniversary year. Big deal for us. Um, and we're, we're trying to kind of gauge where we're at as a, as a church community the things that we need to focus on, some things that we may need to tune up around here, some things that may interest you to get you more involved in Journey Church. And we're going to start talking about some of that in the upcoming weeks with really a big culmination at Easter is really our 10th year anniversary. And you know we've been thinking and talking a little bit about that. So you'll hear more about that. But this is kind of a preface for that for the year for us to, to start looking forward. And always this time of year, yeah, you know, I think of the Advent candles, the faith, hope, peace, joy, the things that those represent. And this time of year, we focus a lot on both hope and peace. Would you guys agree with that? That's one of the themes that we, we talk about at Christmas time is, is peace and hope, goodwill towards men, and all that sort of thing. We really focus on that. But what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit this morning about how we need to focus on that throughout the year, how that should be the, at the core of our, our compass as Christians is having goodwill towards others, focusing on peace, focusing on joy, focusing on love. And I think we've lost a step or so there as, as not as Journey Church, but as the church world as a whole. I don't think Christians are seen as being that way anymore. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit this morning. So this morning, I want to talk about, you know, we've just celebrated the birth of the Prince of Peace, but do we really know what that means? You guys saw in the video, the count back through, through time, uh, and we saw the events of, of Scripture happening and Jesus being born there. But the Prince of Peace, what does that really mean to us? Looking in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do we really think about that in the context that what the world was like when Jesus came into it? Sometimes it's kind of hard for us to relate as modern-day Christians to what was going on in the, in the pre-days leading up to Jesus being born and the tumultuous times that Jesus was born into and just what was being expected there. People were looking for a Savior. There's no doubt the Jewish people were looking for a Savior. They were looking to someone to come and save them. They lived as an oppressed society under Roman rule. They were looking for this Savior to come to them. Do you think that they were looking for a little baby to be born basically in a cave with a bunch of barn animals? Wasn't what they were looking for, guys. They were looking for a political leader. They were looking for a force to be reckoned with, someone that would lift them up and lead them out. I think they were looking for more of maybe a Moses-type character. Remember the story of Moses leaving the children of Israel out of Egypt? I think they were looking for somebody that would come and, you know, Take the Roman authorities on head on and we'll, you know, we'll send plagues against them. Our God will show you how great and mighty he is. Our God will show you something. And you get this baby born. He's laying in a, you know, a feed trough, basically, over here in a cave in Bethlehem. It wasn't what people were looking for. It wasn't what they were expecting. The title, that unexpected Savior, you know, talking about the unexpected birth of Christ and what we were looking for. You know, we need to explore the, the ideas of what was going on in that, in that time when the, when the Jews were oppressed in, in society. We like to think was very much different then, but it really wasn't. People are still driven by the same things. They're, they're driven by 
Many in the world are driven by greed and the thirst for power and those sort of things. So that was no different then. We, we may have added a little layer of technology and, and, you know, some things like that on top of it. But a lot of people are still driven by the same thing, even Christians. So, you know, it wasn't that much of a different time. But I think one of the things we as, a, as the American church need to really explore is the idea of peace. How many of you were in armed services that are here this morning? First of all, we want to thank you guys for your service. But secondly, how many of you guys saw any active combat duty? We've got one man here. Do you realize how much different that is when you talk about peace if you haven't been in combat? Do you realize that we don't know what we're talking about when we say peace in those terms? We live in a relatively free, peaceful society. How many of you feel threatened every day when you go to work that something bad's going to happen, that somebody's going to attack you? I don't. have got one that does. You must have a really bad job. Are you a teacher? <laughs> no, seriously, we live in a relatively safe, free society here in America. So the idea, look at this def- definition of peace. Freedom from disturbance, quiet, and tranquility. I think we can understand quiet and tranquility. It's the reason I asked the question, have you, how many of you felt you were too busy during this Christmas season? Some of that lack of tranquility we bring upon ourselves by busyness you know we don't experience the peace that we should observing this this time of year but you know that that absence of of that in your life can be one of several things we're going to explore those things this morning but just think about that thing of peace this morning and how we we probably don't appreciate it as much as we should because we're not we're not fearing you know we do have the threats now we hear on the news of terrorists and all those things but do y'all realize it's you know, it's almost as likely to be hit by lightning as it is to be struck down by a terrorist. I mean, seriously, we focus on those things, but we really live in a peaceful society. But well, the thing I want us to think about this morning is the birth of Jesus turned the world upside down. Do y'all realize that this morning? Do you realize that this, this, the picture that we saw there, the, the little baby being born and, the, and the, the shepherd seeing the star and the wise men seeing the star and coming to visit him and things, do you realize how significant that was the way Jesus was born? He wasn't born as a mighty ruler. He wasn't born into a royal family where he could work his way up through the political ranks and be the king of the Jews or the king of the entire world. He wasn't that way. He was born in a humble, the humblest of beginnings. There were no royal trappings about where he was born. There was nothing like that. He was born in what we call a, lonely, a lowly manger. And I think there's a reason for that. There was a different path for Jesus to tread than what the world was used to. Jesus wasn't coming as a political ruler. He wasn't coming as a king. He was coming as a savior. He was coming to bring peace to to a world in turmoil. And I think we overlook how significant his birth was and the circumstances surrounding that birth and what the life he led was. You know, look at at Jesus' ministry when he he begins to teach in uh, what most believe is his early 30s. What did he do up till then? We don't have much of a record of that, do we? There's some, some things outside the, the canon of what we call Scripture, some, some other books that, that may give a little hint into some things that he did. But there's very little detail on that. You know why? He lived as an average person. He was a carpenter. He had a trade. He went to work like we do. He sat down and ate with his family like we do. He did the things that you and I do. He experienced, the Scripture tells us, he experienced all the things we do. He experienced heartache and loss. You know, all those things that we go through, Jesus went through them as a normal, everyday person. Now, would you expect that person to become ruler of the world, ruler of your life, 
would you expect that to be the creator come incarnate and work on and walk on earth? No, that's the reason that, that we say he turned the entire world upside down. But, you know, in thinking about these terms of peace and tranquility and what we have today, you know, it's not always been that way. We have, we have several people that have been in the armed forces and things. But I want you to think about this story from Christmas. 103 years ago, war was raging across Europe. World War I, horrible, atrocious deaths. You know, we, we talk today about the, the number of deaths that we have in the war. You know, I hate to say this, but we fight clean wars these days, at least on our side. We have very little loss of life in comparison to what World War I and World War II, the lives that were given for a cause there. And this is what was going on. World War I was raging. Tens of thousands of men were dying for each side. At this point in time, 103 years ago during World War I, it was Christmas time. British and German forces were fighting hard against each other. But this is the Christmas armistice on the Western Front, it's called. These men, on Christmas Eve, decided we're not going to fight today. We're going to honor the true spirit of Christmas. There's going to be no fighting. There's no war. We're not going to shoot at each other. We're going to come out. And they, the British and German forces agreed to a truce. They came out into what was typically no man's land between the trenches. They exchanged gifts. They wished each other well. They talked. They shook hands. They ate meals together. They sang Christmas songs together in a time of peace. They understood the value of what peace really meant. I like this quote from Colonel George Laurie. He says, You have no idea how pleasant everything seems with no rifle bullets or shells flying about. We're not used to experiencing that. We're not used to what peace is. We're, we're not used to being in this constant barrage of things that that many of our ancestors have gone through, even back to the time of the Jews, the hard life that they lived under, both Egyptian and Roman rule. We're not used to those things. But, you know, we, we've lost a step there because not feeling that oppression. How many of you agree that the Bible often speaks about Christians being oppressed, does it not? It talks about the oppression that we will feel, the things that will be against us, the, the rulers and powers that will be against us. But today I think Christians have twisted the radical message of the gospel of peace into a story about a birthday and political posturing. Would y'all agree with that? How many of y'all think about peace at Christmas anymore versus the little baby in the manger? I mean, his birth is all, absolutely, it turned the world upside down. But we don't think about why anymore. We don't think about the significance of that birth, except that Jesus was born and we celebrated this time of year. And we've, we've kind of lost out on that, that Christmas, the, the, that first Christmas, what it was supposed to mean to us and what it was supposed to show us about society, what it's supposed to show us about how to walk as individual Christians, that we're supposed to walk peacefully in this world and we're supposed to love our neighbors, love our enemies. And, you know, we, we've lost a step about that. Every year, not quite as bad this year, but I hear about the war on Christmas. Y'all familiar with that? There's a war on Christmas. Yeah, we have... We have, have fretted about that for years now that the world isn't celebrating Christmas properly. Now, I didn't know there was a guide. Have y'all, anybody got the guide for how to celebrate Christmas? I don't have one. There, I don't think there is one. Um, tell me what verse in the Bible tells us how we're supposed to celebrate Christmas. Can somebody share that with me? 
I'm not a Bible scholar. You're supposed to rejoice. Yeah, I think that's good. We're supposed to rejoice about our Savior's birth. That's, that's good. Anything else? Um, how many times is Christmas, Christmas listed in the New and Old Testaments? None. There's no guide for the way we're supposed to celebrate Christmas, except what Leslie shared with us about rejoicing and being happy about the Savior's birth and those sort of things. But we have turned Christmas time into this, this horrible mess that, that we celebrate today. We've tried with the, the introducing Advent to you as a, as, a, as a church community and things like that to get you to focus on what Christ really means to us, why he came, why he, why he laid his life down for us in the way of life he'd have for us. But when we're so focused on outward things, you know, I didn't know. Like I said, there's not a guide. I don't know when to say Merry Christmas or not now. I mean, I'm serious. Traditionally, growing up, if I, if I saw you or something and said, man, I hope you guys have a happy holiday. Oh, my Lord, he's a Jesus hater now. Is that not the way it is? You can't, you've got to say Merry Christmas or you hate Jesus. Yeah, go, yeah, go get your cup. Make sure you got, yeah, that's, that's Leslie's, Leslie's thinking ahead of me and we're thinking of life this morning, which may be scary for all of y'all. <laughs> Starbucks, we're so worried about, you know, Starbucks evidently has to have baby Jesus on the front of their cup with John 3.16 on the back, right? Because that's what Christmas is about, is about baby Jesus. And you've got to say, Merry Christmas. We're going to say, Merry Christmas. You know, much of, <laughs> thank you. Braden said, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, buddy. That was said in the true meaning of Christmas. You realize that? He, he wasn't saying that to me to be mean. He wasn't saying it to make a political point. He wasn't saying it, you know, I think the thing that troubles me most right now is we're saying Merry Christmas as an in-your-face insult. Y'all agree with that? By golly, I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you, and you're going to like it. <laughs> Merry Christmas, by golly. That's what I mean. Y'all need to rejoice in Christmas with me. Oh, I don't care if you're a Jew and don't celebrate Christmas. Well, this is America. We celebrate Christmas here, right? Y'all agree with that? You think that's what Jesus came to allow us to do? I think the true war on Christmas can be found in the systematic way that the poor and weak of our society are systematically marginalized. That's where the war on Christmas is. That's what we should be focusing on as a church, as individual Christians. We should be looking at those weaker people in society, those that are poor, those that struggle, those that are addicts, those that have many things, people that struggle in day-to-day -day life. That's what the spirit of Christmas is, folks, is putting those folks in front of our needs and caring for them. That's what Jesus came for, guys. That's what he came for. He didn't come to rule with an iron fist and tell people what they would do. And you'll celebrate my birthday and you'll do these things. He said, no, I come for the poor, the oppressed. That's what was so radical about the way he was born was the society he was in. He was coming and being born as the oppressed. Do y'all realize that? He wasn't born as a Roman. The Romans ruled the world at that time. He wasn't born as a Roman citizen. He was born as a Jew who was oppressed. That's what was so upside down about the story of Jesus' birth and what he did. The peace that he brought was brought from a lowly place of oppression. And we've lost the appreciation for that. You know, and I really focused on that a lot this Christmas in thinking through this, this message and these topics of, you know, 
what it means to walk as a Christian today in our society, what it means to have peace in our lives, what it means to share the hope that we have of Jesus and, and his birth. You know, and I've listened in the, the song from John Lennon, Happy Christmas, War is Over. I've listened to that a lot and thought about that and thought, you know, I know John Lennon was not a believer. I know that he didn't, I don't think, believed in Christ for any indications that I saw in his life, any of the fruit that he bore in his life. But you know what? I think he got the message of the Spirit of what Jesus was trying to tell us. He was talking about, let's don't be waging war on each other. Let's don't be waging war over silly things. Let's don't be oppressing the poor. Let's don't be doing these things. Let's, let's do this the right way. And I think that Christmas song has a lot of meaning in it, even for Christians, if we'll, we'll listen to the lyrics and think about it. You know, we can often be led by influences outside the church that have some good messages. You have to filter it, obviously. You have to filter everything against Scripture. But, you know, declaring war on the society we live in is never going to bring us peace. Declaring war on Starbucks because of the color or type of cups they have is not furthering your Christian testimony. Y'all understand that? When we go out and we decide that everything in the world is bad and we represent everything good, we have lost the meaning of the gospel. That's not what Jesus came to have us do, was to rule over people and tell them how wrong they are. That's not what Christianity is about. That's not walking as a Christian. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. But we've turned it into this, this force to be reckoned with these days. You know, that if you don't do these things right, we as the Christians will rise up against you. And, you know, there's so many things that we talk about what we're against. It's just, it's not the message I think that, that Jesus would have us to share. You know, and I think the absence of peace in our lives comes as a result of us not being at peace with God about what we're doing. I think much of what we experience, the turmoil we experience in our lives, is because we're trying to make Christianity in the church and the things we do into something that Jesus didn't intend it to be. He didn't intend me to be going out, I don't think, and fighting the war against Starbucks cups. I don't think that's what Jesus intended me to do. I think Jesus intended me to share the good news of why he came, to share that humanity is hopelessly lost without him. I think Jesus wanted to share with the poor that you're not forgotten and we love you and we'll try and help you. The sick, the elderly, the orphans, all those people that are marginalized by our society today. I think that's what Jesus wanted me to do, don't you? I don't think Jesus wanted me to go out and declare war on the society around me and tell me that, you know, and yes, there are things that are unhealthy around us. There's, there's things that, you know, there are things coming out entertainment-wise that aren't good for us. There's things social media-wise that aren't good for us. There's things we eat that aren't good for us. I'm not saying that just go out and you do whatever, but I am saying, you know, kind of try and live peacefully with those around you. Don't try and wage war on society. You're not going to win that war. You're in the minority anyway. And I think it really does a lot to hurt our testimony. And I think a lot of that is the reason we don't have true peace in our lives is we're, we're constantly fighting a battle that's not ours. We're, we're doing all these things and trying so hard to outwardly appear to be Christian. I think that's the whole thing behind the I have to wish you Merry Christmas is I want you to know I'm a Christian because I say Merry Christmas. We're not known by our words, guys. We're known by our deeds. We're known by the fruit in our lives, the things that people see about us, the things that we do. That's how we're known, and that's how we bring, have come to be at peace with God. Listen to Colossians verse 3. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Where is true peace found then? 
in your heart. It's not found externally. It's not found in society. It's not found in the lack of war. Peace comes from within because we're at one with God and what he wants us to do. So when we have that peace in our hearts, we're at one with God. It doesn't matter what goes on in the world, guys. It doesn't matter if if Christians are oppressed. Jesus was born into an oppressed society. Did he go and try and unoppress the Jews? No, he didn't do that. He came and said, I've got a kingdom that's above any of these kingdoms, and none of this matters. He said, I have a kingdom that's not of this world, and that's what you need to be paying attention to. He came to to share that with us, and that's how we have peace, is to look at that. But you cannot ignore God's word and expect to be at peace with him. Instead of recognizing this fact, we blame the world around us. It's everybody's fault, isn't it, but ours. When I'm not at peace with God, it's, it's, it's the movie industry's fault. You know, I, I did this bad thing because somebody said it in front of me. You know, we need to make sure that there's no pornography in the world so I won't be tempted to look at it. We need to make sure that, you know, circumstances don't come up where I might be tempted to lie on my job to better myself. We need to, to correct all these things in society when that's not, that's not a society issue. That's a peace in my heart issue. That's me ignoring what God would have me to do. That's, you know, in my relationships here. That, that's me not having my relationship with those I live with here on earth, my spouse or whatever, not focused on God, but focused on us. And it doesn't matter what God says. We're going to do our thing, and God will bless it, I think. That's not what it's all about. And when we, we ignore what God clearly tells us to be doing, you know, we, we cheat ourselves out of the peace that he has for us. But, you know, Christians like to view themselves as the victims of wars that they create for themselves. You know, we see in Scripture that Christians are oppressed. As I said earlier, it shows clearly Christians will face oppression at times. So, how many of you feel really oppressed in your day-to-day life about Jesus? I don't. We live in America. We're not oppressed by, by what we think. So what we do is we come up with ways that society is creating war against us as Christians. And we just exaggerate things we exaggerate the starbucks cups that we're laughing about this morning we exaggerate about saying merry christmas we exaggerate about saying a prayer before a high school football game we do all these things to victimize ourselves and declare war on ourselves we make a mountain out of a molehill often guys and i'm not saying that we shouldn't have religious freedom i don't think that that's a bad thing but do y'all know what religious freedom really means in a in a nation that means that the Jew, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Christian, whoever that may be, has the same privileges I do. That doesn't mean that when we go into a school auditorium, we thank Jesus and we pray to, pray to God before a football game, and then we tell them, you can't teach about Allah in school, that's not Christian. That's not the way it works, folks. And that's the reason Christianity, I think, is losing out in our society today, is because we're becoming Christian bullies. We're declaring war on everybody and saying, this is the way it works. You guys are going to victimize us. You're not going to listen to what we say. We'll fix that. We'll make laws. We'll make sure you say, Merry Christmas. I'm surprised we haven't had legislation passed this year that you have to say Merry Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, don't give anybody ideas. But, I mean, it's just crazy the extent that we're going to victimize ourselves as Christians when we've got a whole world of things to worry about besides victimizing ourselves. Yeah. We're, we're, not, we're not living in peace with those around us. You know, we create these wars upon ourselves. And instead of showing love and respect for those we view as our enemies, we declare war on them. We don't go out and love our enemies like 
the scriptures say. Y'all do know the Bible says to love your enemy. That's those people that are against you. Those are the people that would actively oppress you. It tells you to love those folks. But instead, we declare war on them. You know, we're declaring war. And, and Christians are jumping on the bandwagon that anybody that doesn't have the religion of Christianity shouldn't be allowed into our country because they're all going to kill us. That's not true, folks. I have friends that are of different faiths. I have friends that are Muslims. I have a friend that... We have witnessed two over the years. He's come to church with me. He helped me with job applications. He's a Muslim, but yet there's people that will tell me he's in one of those sleeper cells and he's just waiting to kill you. Well, he's really bad at it, okay? He's had multiple opportunities. He could have taken me out anytime he wanted to, okay? That's not true. Yes, it may be true that there's some core teachings in there that we wouldn't agree with, but y'all be real careful before you start going back and, and looking at things. Don't read any of the Old Testament, that's all I can tell you. There's some Old Testament laws and things about us destroying our enemies is what we're saying that Muslims are all about today. So don't, don't, be, don't be too too harsh there when you start saying that everybody's alike because of what their, their book says. Yeah, living in fear, living in fear that something's going to happen to us. We're going to try, instead of having that peace in our heart, we're going to bring it through societal needs. You know, I think we're more like sports teams. I think we've become the Christian team. And if you're not on our Christian team, we're against you. We're competing against you. If you're not on the Christian team, we are against you. And I think that's a good illustration of the way we are. Is Josh in here? Is he backstage? I was going to wear my Packers jersey just for Josh this morning. We were talking about sports teams and rivalries because, you know, if you don't like the Packers, you need to hate the Bears. That's all I'm saying. That's just the way sports works, you know. You, You have this, if you're not with me, you're against me. That's not what Christianity is about. God hasn't told us that that's the way it is. But we've taken it almost to a sports team. We're now called, I think, safely in America, most people think we're the team, the evangelicals. That's who we are now. We were a big part of the last election. People were pandering for the support of the evangelicals. They don't know who they are. They just know they want them to vote for you. You know, the evangelical movement started as a good thing. It was a thing where people recognized Jesus Christ in their lives. That was what it was about. They said, we don't want all these trappings. It even went back to the things that we talked about in the Reformation with Martin Luther, of focusing on the right things, of knowing who Jesus is and his place in your life and how how he is the king of all kings and that there's a kingdom above all this. But we've turned it into a political movement. We've turned it into a team to cheer for. You are either with us evangelicals or you are against us, you know. It's, we're not... We're known for what we're against, guys. We're so against these things. It, it reminds me, my, my good friend Ken was on Sport Talk one day, and they were talking about rivalries and things, and he said, i tell you what, I'm a Tennessee fan, and if North Korea is playing Alabama, I'm going to root for North Korea. <laughs> hey, that's kind of what we are as Christians. You know, I'm going to vote for it. I, it. It doesn't matter what those evangelicals do. I'm rooting for them. That's who I'm for. We need to be talking about who we're for. We need to be talking about being pro-Jesus, not, not our team and not who we're against. We're so far off of that. But you know, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I tell you, if I had a life verse, I think that would be one of them that I think is a good one to have. I mean, I think there's a lot of scriptures that I apply on a regular basis or try to, but that is one that has always struck me. It's been a little foreign to a lot of our congregations is gentleness and respect. Do you think you win Muslims over by going up and saying, you worship the devil and you're going to hell? No. 
You're not going to win people over like that. Do you think people want to, when they see you acting like that, they want to say, I want to be a part of that movement because they're ramming religion down everyone's throats. Guys, we're losing the church's influence in America because of the way we're presenting our Savior. We're losing out these days because we're not treating people with gentleness and respect. Now, you don't have to agree with people to be respectful towards them. Do y'all realize that? You can disagree with people and still respect them. You can still love them. You can still, I dare say, fellowship with them. You know, it's one of those things. And I've even seen this in churches where if you associate with that type of people, we're not going to associate with you. We're trying to so compartmentalize Jesus in our society that we're cutting off the very people around us that we're supposed to be reaching. That's what I want us to focus on as a church as we're moving forward. and be, That's the whole reason for this message. This is just not to beat up on Christianity and things like that and the things we're doing wrong. This is for us as a group, as a family this morning, to think about where we need to head as a church, what we need to be in society. You know, there's a million churches. If you want a political message this morning about how you should act, they'll give you one. I'm not here to do that this morning. I don't care who you vote for. I dare say I don't even care if you vote. Doesn't matter to me. I do care if you're pro-Jesus or not. Because I think if you're not pro-Jesus, why are you even here this morning? If you're not wanting to, to do the things that he tells us, you know, but gentleness and respect. We've lost so much of that in our society. How many of you, when I say Facebook, immediately think of gentleness and respect? <laughs> Gosh, you, you know, it's awful. I have, I have weeded my Facebook feed down to the only things that appear in it are a few friends from here because I like to see what you post and see what you're going on with your families. I like to see pictures of the Murphy's dog's rear end undercover. You know, it's just crazy things like that. You know, all the things we used to complain about Facebook that we didn't like, you know, what you're eating for dinner or whatever. I, I crave to see what you're eating for dinner instead of seeing what your political view is these days. Facebook has become just a cesspool of junk of forcing our opinions on others, and then getting in this big battle because we don't agree about it. Guys, that's not what it's about. We need to treat others with gentleness and respect. And you know what? It's almost impossible to do on Facebook. Would y'all agree with that? Can you have a difference of opinion on any social media and do it respectfully? Nope. Do you think people respect you when you say those things? Nope. The only thing I ever comment on anything like that is from a pro-Jesus point of view. Can y'all appreciate that? That when somebody says, this candidate or this person over here says they're a Christian, I think as a Christian, it is okay to point out, okay, they say they're a Christian, why are they doing these things? Y'all think that's fair? Do you think that Scripture should be your ultimate voting guide? Do you think that Scripture should tell you how you're supposed to act in society? And if someone claims they're a Christian, and you don't say, wait a minute. I'm not sure the Bible teaches this. And I'm not perfect. I'm not saying we're all seamlessly perfect. What I'm saying is when we begin to whitewash over all things and say, well, you know, politics is like the business world. You just can't be a Christian and do that. That's when we lose our testimony society. What we're saying is this Christianity thing that we have doesn't work in all applications. You can't be a Christian and be a politician. Ah, you can't be a Christian and run a big business. You can't be a Christian and do this. We're, we're saying that, you know, that our God is not big enough to handle those problems. And that's where I really get frustrated with the lack of respect that we show for.
for those around us. We show for each other as Christians. We can all disagree. We're not all going to agree on anything in here. I understand that. But, you know, you don't have to be hateful about it, do you? I mean, let's, I like this, again, from John Lennon. I found this quote, and I thought this was really good. Now I understand what you have to do. Put your political message across with a little honey. Pretty darn good, isn't it, when you think about it, that we need to have a little sweetness in our voice when we try and share the gospel. We need to, instead of condemning those around us, we need to tell them this is why. We need to tell them about Jesus' love for them. We need to tell them that he's concerned about the poor. He's concerned about the oppressed. He's not here to dominate your life. He's not here to bring you a set of rules and regulations to follow. But we've got to do it. Hebrews 12 tells us, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know what it says? If you don't have holiness and you don't have peace with everyone, they're not going to see the Lord. I never read that verse that way till studying for this, this message, that if we don't have that peace and we don't, don't show that to those around us, they're not going to see the Lord. What are we here on earth for, guys? Are we here just to have families and to come together and worship on Sundays and to honor God? Yeah, that's all part of why we're here. But our purpose is to share the gospel with those around us, is it not? Y'all agree with that? Increase the kingdom. Be kingdom-minded. The things that are above the world that we live in. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If we're not doing that peacefully, if we're not doing that with joy in our hearts, if we're not serving joyously, people aren't seeing Jesus through us. How do you think most people come to Christ? What do you have, what, any opinions there? What do you think? What are some ideas? Taping the, taking the time to explain the gospel and show them love. What else? Sharing life with you. What, what does that mean, sharing life? But what are some things you guys can think of? It's easy. It's easy. When people are burdened, you share those burdens with them. When people are telling you how awful their job is and how they, they don't have enough money to buy groceries and they're worried about Christmas, you share with them. You may even financially share with them. When they're talking about their parents or a loved one is sick, you share with them. You tell them, you encourage them that Jesus knows the situation and loves them. You know, when the person's talking about, you know, my husband or my wife has left me, I don't know what to do, you share life with them. That's where people see the true kingdom of God and they through, see Jesus is through life with each other. It's living with each other. You know, that was one of the things I really enjoyed last week about our, our Christmas Eve service. And I always, in, we typically do that on the 23rd, but we did it on Christmas Eve this time. And, you know, I always enjoy those services because do y'all feel like we share as a family that day? I do. I know it's one of Mark's favorite services of the year. It's one of my favorites because... I had fun last week. We were, we, were, we were rejoicing together about the birth of the Savior. We were sharing our experiences. We were sharing our hopes of Christmas. We were sharing all these things together. And that's, that's how we are supposed to function as a society. As Christians, our best witness is how we love and care for those around us. Not who we're against, but how we share. You know, I don't really know very, and you see it, I won't say it never happens, but cold evangelism as I call it, going out and protest evangelism, whatever you want to call it, where you're shouting at people and you're saying who Jesus is. I know very few people in the entire world that have ever reacted positively and come to a relationship with Jesus as a result of that. But I know lots of people that have come to Jesus because somebody showed them care and love when they were going through some circumstances in their life that they didn't know how to handle. There are countless examples of that. 
But can we do that with our enemies? It's easy to do it with the coworker you like. How easy is it to do it with the coworkers you don't like? Anybody have any coworkers you don't like? Golly, everybody's hand went up on that. That's the most response I've gotten all morning. It, yeah, there are coworkers and things that you you know you don't like. Look at what First Thessalonians says. It even means this about coworkers. It says, "See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone." Let's read that one twice. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Hmm, that's some good stuff, isn't it? Be good to everybody. That means that person that you don't think pulls their weight at work, you should still be good to them. That person that maybe has gotten you in trouble, probably for something you did that you weren't supposed to, maybe, maybe not, you're supposed to be good to them and love them and live peacefully with them. But we don't see it as that. We see it as a competition. We don't, we want to, you know, they did that to me, I'll fix them. You ever seen that? I'll get even with them. Oh, man, I've seen, we were actually, we had this conversation at work this week about, about some people and some difficult personalities. The guy, he's retired now, he's no longer works at our company. But he got in trouble one day about something, and it was, it was his fault, actually. And he said, that'll cost him. You know what he did? He was sick for the next two days. It'll cost you. Was that repaying evil with evil? Or maybe even repaying good with evil? You mess with me, I mess with you. Not the Christian way, guys. Your coworker that that does something, you know, it, that is hard to support someone and love someone that doesn't have your best interest at heart. And that's often the case. But we're not to repay evil with evil, but we're to do good to one another and to everyone. I am so frustrated in society that, that many of those that claim the testimony of being a follower of Jesus Christ don't obey that. That, has, that does more to hurt the cause of the gospel than anything you guys can imagine. Is when people see, if Christians act like that, I don't want any part of them. That's the hardest thing for us guys, is we are under the microscope. People look at us. If you say you're a Christian and you don't act the way that the gospel tells you to act, if you're not peaceful with those around you, if you don't love those that are enemies, if you're not sharing your life with them, and if you're just part of the dog-eat-dog world and you're out for what you can get, you've lost your testimony to the world around us that we're supposed to be so involved in. You know, the Bible tells us to be in the world but not of the world. Not being of the world means you don't share the same values they have. You value a kingdom value of following Jesus Christ and the peace that he brings in your lives is what you follow. But we've lost that as a society often. We're not doing that. And I just want to encourage you this morning to think about those things, that as you, as you look at those around you, that you know, we've lost the radical world changing of the gospel when we dilute it to meet our own selfish objectives. There are so many things that we have that we do for our own good. It's to further ourselves in society. And it doesn't really matter that maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit how oppressed I am. It doesn't matter that I'm you know, maybe stretching the truth a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that I'm trying to, to push forth Christianity as a movement and not a life-changing event. It doesn't matter because I'm trying to get these things for me. How many of you want to live in oppression? 
I, I don't think I particularly, anybody looking forward to that? Does anybody say, you know, I wish I would have to pay double income tax if I put Christian on my income tax. I bet, I bet, I bet the Christian movement would reduce in America by about uh, 90% if we had to declare that on our taxes and pay double taxes. Would y'all, what would you do if you were faced with that? That's true oppression. What would you do if on your income tax statement it says, Christian, yes or no? And if you click yes, you pay twice the taxes of your neighbor. Would you check it? Well, that's a hard question, isn't it? That's something to think about. Would you really do that? Are you really serious enough about it? If you say no, okay. But we often check that box in our lives, not physically, but by the things we do with with our resources, with the things that we treasure, the things that we do as Christians. We often check that box without even realizing it. We say, yeah, I'm a Christian except in this circumstance I don't think I can be. I think it's in my best interest not to be too Christ-like here because I think that, you know, we've lost the radicalness of the gospel when we do that. The radicalness of the gospel is that no matter what happens, we're God's people. God loves us. God cares for us. God understands our sorrow. He understands the turmoil. He understands the things that we're going through. And we've lost that world-changing gospel when we kind of sell out to society and just go along with it. When we start acting and having the same values as those around us, we've lost that. And I see that so much. You know, there's, and, and again, you look at the election cycle and things. How many of you seen people that you respected as Christian post things on social media that you knew were not true? You know it's not true. You know, you're a Christian. Guys, you have the greatest ability to do independent research in your pocket that mankind has ever known. You can look up the truth about anything. Now, you may have to filter through some things. There is truly fake news out there. There are people that just make up stuff to stir up trouble. Do y'all realize that? I had, a, I had a friend that, and he is a, he is not a Christian, I don't think, at this time, but he, he relies on me for, for some, some guidance and mentoring things at times, and he had posted some stuff that was absolutely not true. It was about the Las Vegas shootings. Remember that horrible tragedy, okay? And he was posting that this website, that this anti-government site had posted that they had taken credit for it, Okay? It was Antifa. Y'all heard of that name in, in the world of politics? Antifa had taken credit for that, okay? You can go and trace back. It was on their website, and they took it down because they got so much flack about it. Well, we now know what they're all about, that they shot all those people there. They did not. You went back, and you looked at the website, okay? You go back and trace it, and you look, and you can look it up with about, it took me 30 seconds with, that marvelous tool called Google. You ever Googled anything? 30 seconds to find the truth in the matter was that was not Antifa's site. That was a site posted by a conservative movement to discredit Antifa. This man would not hear to that. He said, no, you're wrong. They are fooling you. There's evidence here. Even the Antifa people are saying, this is not our site. The the conservative group is saying, yes, we did this. No, I don't believe you. You're wrong because it doesn't match up with what I want to believe. It doesn't match what I want to do. And there are so many of these silly, silly arguments, prayer before NFL games or taking a knee or protesting. Now, there's one where they're burning the American flag in the locker room. I'm like, guys, 
It's a victory dance. They were celebrating. That is what's called Photoshop. Y'all ever heard of Photoshop? You can make any picture look the way you want. Guy says, nope. No, you're mistaken. That's a real picture. They doctored it and took the flag out of it. <laughs> how, how do you treat somebody like that with gentleness and respect? You know, bless his heart. The, the southern saying, you're an idiot, is translated as bless your heart. So some of y'all aren't from around here, and I say, bless your heart. That means you're an idiot. I just didn't want to say it. <laughs> but truly, those things that we get into, all these meaningless things that, that we're, we're talking about, and we're affecting another generation. There's been the latest controversy has been about Judge Roy Moore. don't know if Judge Roy Moore did what he said or not. But I do know that there are Christians that have tarnished their reputation by the way they defended him. And I'll tell you why. Y'all ever heard of James Dobson from Focus on the Family? James Dobson, I admire him. I think he's done a lot of great work for families and, and, and telling us how to, to clean up media, various things like that. I think James Dobson's a good, well-intentioned guy. But I go back and look. Do you remember a guy named, what was his name? Oh, he was a president. What was it? Bill Clinton. Anybody remember that guy? Do you, what do you remember about Bill Clinton? You don't remember anything but what he did that was wrong, do you? Bill Clinton was having an extramarital sexual relationship with one of his assistants. Okay? That's what we remember about that. You know what James Dobson said then? He said, Gosh, people, if there is evidence that multiple people have been harassed by you or you've been appropriate, he said, that's enough evidence for me. If this happened in the private industry, you'd be fired. There wouldn't be any excuse for it. We just are selling out as Christians when we don't take notice of these things. You always said about George Roy Moore, he said, those people are all lying. Do you know how much that discredits you as a Christian? You know, and today, everything you said is on the Internet somewhere. This message will be on the internet and someday i can't come back and say that i didn't say anything about judge roy moore on new year's eve because it's out there but when you say that about one side because you don't like them and then you accept it on your side that's what i'm talking about this morning that's the things that we've got to avoid as christians to avoid that impropriety there were people as christians were saying that the alabama election was rigged because they bust in blacks to vote for the opponent and illegals. Blacks and illegals. Now, I want you to think about that a little bit. Why didn't they say they bust, bust in rednecks or they bust in, they bust in, you know, they're from Alabama, they bust in people from Georgia or Tennessee to vote. No, they specifically said blacks and immigrants. That's because our politics, guys, has become tainted with that sort of thought. You know, when you start thinking that that's the people you're against, that is creating division. That creates division in the church. The church is even segregated. Now, we certainly welcome everybody. We have people of color here. We have people that have different religious backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. It's one of the things I love about Journey is it's unique in that. And we don't see those things here. But the church does as a whole. They see these things. And they support them. If you as a Christian come out on your social media page and repost something about the Alabama elections were rigged because they bust in blacks and immigrants, do you know what people think about you? They think Christians hate blacks and immigrants. They think you're a racist. They think that you don't like them. And do you know our willingness to accept that does tell something about us? There is a hint of racism sometimes in us, and I hate to see that. But you know what it really tells the younger generation? That's who we're losing. Okay, Y'all have heard the term millennials? 
I know a lot of millennials. Y'all know any millennials? Some of you have some in your households even. Okay? My generation doesn't understand that as much. You know, we're, we're of a little different generation. I grew up at the kind of the end of, the, of racism, I'll say, to a little bit. I'm, how old am I now? 50, <laughs> 50, 55, is that right? I'm 55. Okay, cool. I thought that was right. But, hey, you know, when you get my age, you don't remember those things. They're not important anymore. But, hey, I'm 55 years old. When I was growing up, you know, I was at the tail end of the 60s, early 70s, when I really started forming my opinions and learning things. Racism was still alive and well, Okay. And I can remember stories, but I was raised differently. I was fortunate. Even though my grandfather at that time wasn't a Christian, he came to know Christ later on, he was in the construction industry. You know who his best friends were? They were the black men he worked with on the job. We didn't think anything about it. Those guys came up, they built our house. They did the construction work with us. They ate with us. We had a good time. We talked and we joked. But, but you know, we were talking the other day over dinner. I think mom and dad were telling that one of the guys, it was, and he was Scott. He had the same name that I do. Scott came, and he went to one of my grandfather's co-worker's house and was doing some work for him. You know what they did? Because he was black, they made him eat on the porch. He couldn't eat with the family. Y'all, y'all get that. You understand how bad that is. Do you realize there's a lot of 55-year-old white Christians that don't believe that story when I tell it in our society? And then you wonder why people look at us and go, I don't think you've got my best interest at heart. Somebody my age... You know, somebody my age, their grandfather had to eat on somebody's porch because we didn't think he was equal to us. Think about what that does to you as a Christian and your testimony. And I've never thought about that because I, and, and I think that's one of the trouble. Those of us that were raised right, okay, those of us that, that knew the difference and knew what to do, we can't hardly, y'all gasp when I said that, we can't believe that somebody was raised that way. Yet they were. And what discredits us as Christians is when we, discount their opinion and say, that's not true. That didn't happen. Y'all are just over-exaggerating. You're wanting something for nothing. Guys, there are so many things in society that we need to pay attention to like that. And what, what we need to do is focus on the generations that are coming up. And that's the reason I wanted to mention millennials and those that are coming. You know, some of you guys are much younger than I here this morning. I'm glad you're here. You know, I can't talk about Andy Griffith and Gilligan's Island examples anymore. And y'all know what they are. You, who are those people? Yeah, if you raise your hand and you laughed at that, you're too old, okay? <laughs> We're having, we've got to look at people that are coming to know Christ and understand they're very socially aware, okay? They're aware of the inequalities in our society. They are aware that we have done things wrong. Who raised them? Us and their grandparents, okay? The generation we call millennials, we and their grandparents raised them, and they see that there were things in our lives that weren't right. And they don't accept that. And when we start down these paths of making Christianity, the evangelical team and movement, millennials by the droves are shutting out Christianity out of their lives. They want nothing to do with us in the church. And that's really my main focus this morning in telling you these things and telling you these things I'm observing. I have good friends that are in that age bracket. I have daughters that are in that age bracket. I know what they see. I know what they're taught in school. I know what they're saying. And so many of them are leaving the church because we refuse to admit the inequalities in our society today. They don't want any part of us. They want, they want you know what they want? You know what they're really looking for and they don't know it? They want Jesus. 
And they want Jesus to be represented in everything we do. They want Jesus in their politics. They want Jesus in their society. They want Jesus in their cities. They're interested in that, guys. You may think that a younger generation is only interested. I dare say they're more spiritual than we are, okay? They are more spiritual. They may not have the right flavor of spirituality, but they're searching. There are people all around you every day that are searching for Jesus, and it's our job to show it to them, show him to them. You know, they're they're searching for answers. They ask questions. You know, one of the things, broken families are a huge thing these days. We have families that that parents are no longer together raising their children. Children are craving either a mom or a dad. There's so many things. We have second and third generations of people, even in the South. We live in a unique place. I hope you guys do. Chattanooga, Tennessee could very well be the buckle of what we call the Bible Belt. We were raised with Christian traditions and going to church and things. Some of you have, have immigrated from here from faraway places, you know, like up north and crazy places like you guys came from. You know, you, y'all ain't Tennesseans. You don't talk like us. You don't have the values we do. But, you know, the thing is, people are starting around, even in the South, I say all that to say, even here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, we're second and third generations away from the church. We're having people that don't know what the church experience is. All they know is what the news tells them, and they see the bad things. They see, they see people that are politically motivated. They see child molesters. They see womanizers. They see people in get-rich-quick schemes. There are so many people now that see those things as identified with the church. Okay, I can't change society's view of that. But, you know, I think I can change the view that when you're having a problem in your life and I sit down and talk to you and tell you how much Jesus loves you, I think that can change their lives radically. Y'all believe that still? You still believe Jesus can have the same upside-down power that he had when he came to this world? You know, our problem is we have this, this spirituality without Jesus. We're trying to, to be Christians, and we want to look Christians. And our witness is important to us. Don't get me wrong. We need, people around us need to know we're Christians. I agree with that. But they need to know it for the right reasons, not because I tell you I am, but because the fruits of my life and the way I act shows you that I am. I love this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes. I'm getting ready to wrap up here, guys. One of my favorite quotes is, Spirituality without Jesus is like Kool-Aid without water. It gives you a sugar buzz, but it does nothing to quench your thirst. Wow, that's good, isn't it? Kool-Aid without water is just a buzz. And spirituality without Jesus is just a buzz. It's something to get excited about. It's something to do. You know, it's, it's the way we were raised. It's societal. We go to church. We take our kids to church so you can help raise these terrible kids I have. You know, we have all these crazy things that we do. And when it's about an internal relationship with a Savior that came to turn the world upside down, you know, who are you looking to to provide peace in your life? Are you looking for politicians? Are you looking for business leaders? You know, are you looking for the leader of your household? Who are you looking at to provide peace in your life? All I'm going to say about that is there is only one source of peace, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father through Jesus the Son. That's where peace in your life is going to come from. And what I want you to, to listen to as I close this morning is this verse from Matthew. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Guys, if you're going to follow somebody in your life, if you're going to have somebody as your spiritual advisor, if you're going to have someone that you want to show you the way of Jesus Christ. Remember, it used to be called the way. I think that's a good term. I like that better. I think I like that better than Christian these days. And I certainly like it better than evangelicals. The way. There is a way to this life that you should be looking to. But be careful who do you look to for that guidance. There's false prophets out there. There are people out there that will take advantage of who they think are actually gullible Christians, and sometimes we are. We want you to vote for us. We want you to support us. We want you to move in our direction. So we're going to tell you what we think we want you to hear because we need your support. Don't follow that stuff, guys. Follow the internal peace in your heart. We should honestly, do you believe there's enough hurting people in our society around us, the people we know, to keep us busy all week long? I believe that's, there's plenty. So why are we focused on this this morning? Why am I even saying this? We should be so darn busy helping the folks that need our help, that need to see Jesus in their lives, that we don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for it. And we don't. Time's short. Christ tells us the time's short. We're only here on this earth for a short amount of time anyway. And I encourage you this morning, as we, as we focus on what we're doing as, as Journey Church in the days ahead, as we focus on what we're doing as Christian brothers and sisters, as we focus on these things as we go forward, to think about those things I've heard that I've told you this morning. Kind of good this morning that this is a, a smaller group. You guys are who I call family here. We're, I know you. I know most of you by name. I, you know, we're family. We share experiences together. We share, share the Sunday morning experiences together here. We work with your children. We know each other's needs and, and, and desires. And we, and we know the things that are affecting you in your lives and the sickness that goes on. We know all these things. That's what being a church community is about, guys. It's about sharing in the mission of sharing the gospel with others and helping you to build Jesus into your lives, into your everyday lives. That's what we want to strive to do. As we go forth into, into 2018 now, I want you to focus on that as a church family, as what we need to be doing as a church family to be seen as the true gospel, the true people, the people that represent peace, the people that represent love, joy, hope, faith, the things we've talked about during Advent. What can we do as Journey Church this year to be seen as those people? Maybe it's ministries you need to be involved in. Maybe it's ministries outside of Journey Church. Maybe you want to go feed the homeless. We don't have the resources to do that. But if you want to partner with somebody, that's a great Christian mission. If you want to go and give counseling to people that are going through marital difficulties that you've been through yourself and you can help them, those are great things. It doesn't have to all be about, well, it shouldn't be all about Sunday morning anyway. It's about the day-to-day activities that you guys do. And as we focus on 2018 this morning, as I pray in closing, I want us to pray that God will lead our church in the direction he would have us to go and to have our focus lasered in on, on Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and what he would have us to do regardless of what society thinks we could do. And let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for, for your love for us. I thank you for sending your Savior to be born, that we, we just cele- celebrated our Savior being born at Christmas time, Lord. I thank you for all the things you've done for us, God. I thank you that, that we live in a free society and we can worship as we please. But God, I just pray this morning as, as we're talking about a new year, God, that you will help us to understand our role as Christians in society. You'll help us 
especially Mark and myself and all the staff and all the leaders and all the worship team, all the teachers, all the many people that put into journey each week as a, as a faith community. You'll help guide us this year, God, and what we need to do in our individual lives, Lord. And it starts there. It starts in our own hearts. It starts with us being at peace with you. It spreads from there. And that, God, we can spread the gospel throughout our community through, through the activities of Journey Church, Lord. That's why we're here. As we focus on our 10th year, God, I pray that you'll give us guidance and direction. And, Lord, to, to bring us enthusiasm about sharing your message and sharing what you've done for us and sharing that in those around us, God, that so desperately need to, to hear the real gospel, God. Not, not a movement, not a team, not something that, to be known who we root against, God, but to be known who we represent, God, and to know who the true Savior of the world is and why he came and died for us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, if there's any here today that want to start that spiritual journey today that perhaps don't know you, God, that they'll, they'll come to you this morning, Lord, believing that you sent your Son to die for their sins, that they will simply believe that, that he did that and was resurrected and live for him, they can live with you for eternity, God. I pray there's anybody that hasn't made that decision, God, that, that that's, that's one of the most fantastic New Year's resolutions anyone can be made. And Lord, for those that are Christians, I pray that we'll continue to focus on you, God, and this year we'll be known by our fruits, God. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.